Hello, it's Travis. I have a few hotel and midnight disease announcements for now, and please stay tuned after the credits for a couple adjacent project stuff. Extra podcast and slar stuff, not new slar, but just some of my other projects after the show. First up, I felt a little weird about writing everyone's first and last names in my guest book and putting it all over social media without any actual consent from anyone. So, Pacific has put together a little form for all of our midnightdisease.net slash join supporters, and you can let us know with a quick and easy click of a button if that's cool with you. So look out for that later this week. Also, speaking of your email, we are going to be releasing our first official hotel postcard this month. We'll be debuting that and announcing the artist and another surprise or two later on this month. Wink, wink. We are going to be giving a free postcard to our first 500 fans who have signed up for the newsletter. We already have over 200 people on the list, so if you want one of our first ever batches of our first ever hotel postcards, sign up right now. They will, of course, be available for purchase if you miss out on this. And this artwork is... So beautiful. I don't want to say anything about it. I don't want to spoil anything, but it is stunning. You are definitely going to want one of these. You have until January 30th, 2022 to do that. And finally, a new podcast is joining the Midnight Disease lineup. Insidious Inspirations is Bloody Disgusting's inaugural true crime podcast. Join our host, Nicole Goodnight, every Tuesday where she'll dive into the true tales, urban legends, and monstrous myths that inspired all our favorite horror movies. Okay, that's it for official announcements. Don't forget to hang out after the credits for a few extracurriculars. And as always, enjoy your stay in the hotel. I can't see where the hotel ends. Before me, it staggers upwards into the dark. Large stone bricks... Laced together like uneven scales, wrap around its form. I sway lightly, half circling around it, and through the haze it almost looks like the brick is flexing, grasping. An ironwork fire escape sticks to its sides, rattling in quiet tremors as the breeze moves through the bars. Or maybe they're responding to my presence. Feeling the air as I glide past, it twists, and the old yellow bulbs cast light like slick reflections through its greasy windows. I can hardly see through the grime, the dirty windows of urban development, but there isn't a city anywhere I can see. Just more darkness. Maybe shadows, I can't say. Like the end of the hotel above... It's simply beyond me. I sway again, circling the other way, and it twists again, rumbling like a passing train. Below me, I see the sidewalk and a hint of the pavement of the road. Maybe I'm too high up to see it clearly, and too low to see the top. Or maybe it's just twisted itself into a shape outside my vision. I glide closer, press my palm gently onto its side. I can't see where it begins or where it ends now, because the fire escape blocks my vision. It doesn't twist or sway or flex. It's just an old building in some unknown downtown. But when I look beyond, I still can't see the downtown. Only the unknown. 
Only the darkness. Only the hotel. I put my hand back in one of my jacket pockets and pull away, trying to get another look, another perspective. But boisterous laughter below takes my attention. I see shadows retreating into the lobby. The guests have arrived. I silently descend to the sidewalk. I stand outside, looking in, seeing it all start once again. The lobby windows are just as filthy as the rest. Through them I can still make out the guests, though twisted and bulging through the imperfect glass. Three young men, with twice as many bags each. I know them already, of course. AJ, Taylor, and Wayne are performers traveling to or from a show on tour. Their extremely moderate success has them each dressed in expensive, monochromatic athleisure wear. One in red, one blue, and one in green. They carry themselves with the unthinking energy and confidence of the untouchable. I feel my skin beginning to dry quickly, as a reminder that here, just as anywhere, we are all vulnerable. I hunch my shoulders deeply, letting myself get lost in my overcoat. I have to bend slightly to continue looking in the window as I flex and grow. Doing so tightens my skin further, and I curl my hands into fists with a series of satisfying cracks. I press them to the grimy window and watch the manager give them the guest book to sign. They pile over each other to add their names and laugh. She reads them out of the book and says something, smiling. The lobby boy waits by his closet door, one hand on the luggage cart, waiting to be useful, standing by without a thought in his head about what to do next, waiting to be told what to do and how to be useful. He may build the rooms, but then what? Just idle pageantry until the next guests. Why does he just stand there waiting? A thin, splinting pluck pulls me out of my thoughts. A thick crack has pulled across the top of the window where I was grabbing it. My jaw is clenched and my face is pressed almost directly against the glass. I relax and step back. One of the guests, Taylor, is standing at the lobby window, looking out at the street. I stoop low enough that we're face to face, or would be if I thought the hotel would let him see me. He's looking up at the crack in the glass, He's got one hand in the bag slung around his shoulder, but it's got no purpose. He stepped away to be alone. He stepped away because he was alone. Behind him, Wayne is pestering the manager. He flirts, leaning over the desk, making himself comfortable. He laughs and holds her eye just long enough to let her know. He can't see 
that her eyes are already sagging slightly out of their sockets. She smiles back just politely enough to hurry him on his way. It doesn't look like he can see that either, though. AJ is showing the lobby boy something on his phone. I assume a performance of theirs. He seems to be as mesmerized by the phone as he is confused by the attention. AJ asks him something, and the lobby boy looks him in the eye and says something, nodding emphatically. It's clear that he doesn't understand, but as long as he's nodding, AJ doesn't care. Taylor's eyes have gone glassy, still pointed at the crack in the window, but unfixed. No one to talk to, no one talking to him. So he finds a window to stare through, waiting for... something. I find myself grinning as I reach out with a hard finger and wrap the window once, sharply, right on the crack. It splinters slightly, and Taylor jumps back, yelping. That gets everyone's attention. He turns and points to the window, says something I can't hear. Everyone squints at the window, but the crack is gone, and so is my grin. The guests laugh him off and resume their self-satisfied chatter with the staff. The lobby boy is handling it as he does everything, white-knuckled, frozen fear. He yes-sirs and listens, but it's all automated. Inside I know he's screaming to be left alone, but he copes as best he's built to, as we all do, each according to our gifts, each according to our vulnerabilities. He can build and manifest physical fears, shaping the hotel itself into harm, but that power can't save him from himself. So he stands, now the victim of the torture of conversation, casting glances to his manager for help. Oh, but she doesn't see him. She's not even looking at the guest as he tries again. She's staring out the lobby window, staring at me. She nods and responds to the guest when she knows he's expecting it. She never breaks her professional veneer. But she stares at me with black eyes and paling skin, and I know she's thinking about what I did to the window. She's wondering why. Maybe she's worried I'm going to try and break the window and smash my way into the lobby. I reach out to crack the window again, but my reflection stops me. Something between a face and a skull filtered through the lonely expression of the guest and the grime. I know the crack in the glass would just vanish again, and I understand the futility of new destructive habits. Am I picking at the cracks that are here already, or am I just a being of destruction, destroying itself thoughtlessly? Right before I tack the glass with a bony talon, she taps the front desk bell. I can almost hear it over the window cracking again. Above me, the fire escape scrapes and jutters. Perhaps I rocked the foundation when I struck it.
Or perhaps the hotel was trying to reach me, feel me. The sensation of vibration dully emanates from the iron that seems to reach for me in the darkness. Taylor moves away from the window, and my reflection seems to leave with him. I feel the flesh drying off my bones, and inside I know the staff must be turning also. I scrape at the sides of the hotel, leaving long, deep grooves in the stone. I diminish, but my power doesn't. Myself doesn't. I scratch at the grooves again, but this time the stone seems to squeeze back, stopping me gently. The fire escape has stopped buzzing, and I let the bony tips of my fingers lay still for a moment. The manager is still watching me, or at least letting me know she has her eye on me, staring through the thick, yellowed window. The lobby boy is helping the guests load their bags onto the cart. All except Taylor, now pretending to rifle through a second bag to the side so he doesn't have to participate in his exclusion. The hotel has small elevators tonight. Only room for the lobby boy and his cart. The manager points to the stairs. If you don't want to wait, she says. You all look healthy and strong, she says. The lobby boy doesn't just build rooms here. Death comes in every corridor of the hotel. Now... Unencumbered, except for Taylor and his two matching bags, they begin their ascent. I step back again to look up at its dizzying height, and I still cannot see where it ends. As the door to the stairs closes behind them, the elevator doors slide open. The lobby boy steps out, his cart empty of its expensive, color-coordinated luggage. The cart is gleaming gold and practically glides across the floor. A perfect form, without function. An empty cart for dead luggage. He limps to the front desk, liquid gushing over the tops of his shoes and trailing across the old carpet. He can't even stand steady at his post. He leans, one hand still on the cart, wobbling uncertainly as his body rots. His function ended, his form decaying. The cart sways with him, just barely holding him up. I watch it bob back and forth, glinting with polish and slime from his hand. His touch is death. He is the working hands of the hotel herself and he can twist her form into brutal and bizarre perfection. Every guest who passes through the lobby bears the signature of his labor on their own rotting corpses. Yet he stands there, trembling at the thought that the manager might speak to him, or that I might appear and glower at him, or that anything at all might happen. His cart quivers, and his juices drip down its frame, while just a few stories above, the guests are at the mercy of his hands, 
his rotting, weak hands. I pound my tightly skinned fist on the lobby window to shatter it. I hit it with enough force to send the glass raining down on him. To show him what we are capable of with these forms. To show him what good his fears will do him. To scare him enough to let go of the cart and watch him drop to the floor in a puddle of himself. But my fists hit the window with a very dull, very quiet thud. The window looked no thicker or sturdier, but it didn't so much as rattle in its frame. He doesn't even look up from his flop sweat. She saw it, though. She's still looking at me from behind her desk. She hasn't moved a muscle. Her rigorism has little to do with her decay, and the look in her eyes say very clearly, very plainly, Stop. Above me, the fire escape creaks as it sways gently. The hotel is so staggeringly tall, it might be swaying as well. I leave the staff to its now useless lobby business and hurl myself dozens of feet upward in an instant. I grab deep chunks of brick as I pull and leap around its sides, working my way up. The bottom of my overcoat is flaking off in shreds, leaving a trail of dusty decay. Beyond me is only darkness. Ahead of me, the endless heights of the hotel. I float and climb until I find the window to the floor of the staircase the guests are in. I grab the fire escape bars, and they bend slightly under my increased weight. And there they are, spirits still high, laughing as they take the stairs in optimistic and energetic bouts of two or three at a time. Taylor lags behind, though, He brought his bags. No room on the cart, maybe. Or maybe his friends didn't think to ask him. They aren't thinking to check on him now as he struggles and sweats. He brought it on himself, this struggle. If he knew, perhaps, that he was going to die, maybe he wouldn't be so wrapped up in his burden. He doesn't call out to his friends to slow or wait. One bag slung across his torso, the other dragged behind up the stairs. He pauses and readjusts it to his other shoulder, as though that will do anything at all. I leap up, half floating, half climbing the fire escape, several floors to see what comes next. They take the stairs one at a time now occasionally checking the doors leading out to the rooms. But of course, they find them locked. They should have reached their floor by now. Not that that's the sort of thing guests are allowed to notice here. They climb. I climb. Higher and higher. Closer and closer. Eventually, they give in and rest. They laugh and shake their heads. Yes. Yes, they are healthy and strong. They must be thinking they should be able to take a few stairs without needing to rest. 
Wayne wants to press on. He stands at the top of the next flight, hand on one knee, impatient. AJ sits with Taylor. Taylor shakes his head, waves him away. I look closer, unaware that I'm once again hunched so that my face is practically touching the thick, greasy window glass. AJ tries to take Taylor's bag for him, but he refuses. He actually stands back up, still panting lightly, and gestures up the stairs. They're off again, barely a rest, and the three of them are back running up that building. If only I could. If our places were swapped, would I understand then why these three struggle together, alone? Why choose each other, but not choose to help each other? Why refuse each other when... I let them continue up many more flights. I can still see them inside myself from my perch on the side of the hotel. I know they are quiet except for the heavy wheeze of their breathing. I can hear the loud echo of their efforts and that damn bag clunking off every step. But for a moment I sit here and let myself stare into the darkness beyond the hotel. It's that same darkness that surrounds the guests, whether they know it fully or not. I let my mind drift, and I with it, trying to see clearly the shape of things. I come back to myself, and see that I'm standing some distance from the hotel. On some impossible floor above me, I feel a door being violently, impotently jerked. Through the window, I see Wayne trying angrily to open the door off the staircase again, his sweaty hands slipping off the doorknob until he becomes so enraged he can't stop himself from pounding on the door as hard as he can, again and again. AJ tries to stop him, to keep him from hurting himself. He gets shoved back for his tender efforts. Wayne is weeping with fear and rage and exhaustion. He wants to get out. He wants to go on. He wants this all to be over. AJ is pointing down the stairs. I don't know what exactly would happen if they decided to climb down but I know it wouldn't ease their burden or stop their tears. Taylor is at the window again. He has that look you very rarely find in a guest. The haunting, hunted kind. Through the yellowed glass, I can faintly see my own reflection on top of his. My skull forcing a grin over his quiet horror. He throws his shoulder bag at the window, face twisted into something awful. He tries to throw his other case as well, but his friends stop him as he breaks down in their arms. Can he see me? Does he want me to feel how it feels? Does he want to know that it doesn't hurt me? 
he shoves his friends off him roughly and climbs on with no bags, with no problems. To my surprise, Wayne picks up one bag and AJ slings the other around his shoulder and together they follow Taylor up the stairs. Stripped and raw now, ground out by anxiety, fear, exhaustion, and toil, the simple knowledge of their struggle is enough to wear their psyches down to a single focused point. Survive. Continue. Whatever that may mean to a creature who has no power. One step at a time. One stare at a time. They stomp up with a determination that is unsustainable. No amount of focus, grit, or thought can give the flesh energy over effort. They are not getting closer to salvation, or even achieving the distance they perceive. In this place, locked inside traumatic misery, all their struggling amounts to is more misery. They think once they get to their room, they can stop, lay down their burdens, and rest until morning, returning to themselves fully and fresh. I glide easily now, circling from window to window as they climb, single file, upwards, as long as it takes for them to die. Pain and effort is all the hotel offers them. The real tactile comfort of one another is ignored, even hated, as the struggle twists them into something painful. I see them changing, floor by floor, window by window, into something haggard, mean, ugly. The wind blows through me and I stick my bony hands in the tatters of my pants pockets. I sail easily around the hotel as it bobs and sways lightly. I look up into the dark, and I can see that the hotel never truly ends. The fire escape rattles at me gently, and my skull smiles back. Hey, this is Travis with a brief ad break. Thanks for listening. Now back to the hotel. Stretch out and take up some space. Am I right? And we have three guests tonight. Three. They aren't getting a room, though, so I thought it would be okay to... to relax a little. Let it all hang out. Well, let some of it hang out anyway. Really explore the notion of... unwinding... My lobby is still rooted firmly. I mean, we do have to meet the guests halfway, you know. But tonight, I just let myself unspool a 
and up 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 scrabbly brick and twisted metal and I'm even experimenting with the windows tonight kind of greasy and yellow I don't know, stained with nicotine or some other poison just one of those little subtle touches that's more for me than the guests they don't notice almost anything sillies they just see me as a normal old building Red carpet under an awning. Actually, the only one who's even looking is the owner. He's He's been been bobbing and swaying back and forth all around me for I don't know how long. He sees more of me than they do tonight, but he doesn't really have the capacity to see me. Not totally. Limited. By their four little dimensions, they can't appreciate my full range of color and angles and shapes. Well, even if they could see it, it wouldn't make any sense to them. Sometimes the lobby boy can see me just a bit when he's building the rooms. My endless staircase tonight, but it's mostly little old me. Oh, by my beautiful lonesome. Not alone, though. The owner is buzzing around, keeping me company tonight. I wink at him, and he comes over and puts his little hand on my side. He's been acting so strange lately, lashing out one moment, cuddling up on me the next. I don't know. Maybe I've been neglecting him too much. He used to be so patient. Sometimes I worry the staff isn't having fun. I try to make sure they have plenty to do, and I even mix it up sometimes, but still, he fights with the others. Even now, he's down at my lobby window, flicking it with his heavy bones, just trying to get a rise out of the lobby boy, testing the manager. He yearns. I know, I can see it all over him, and it makes him angry. It's just not a healthy way to cope, cracking my nice scuzzy windows like that. I readjust myself a little and harden my glass. I see the yearning inside the guests, too. These three are bright with it. Burning with need. One of them is throwing it all at the manager, and just between us girls, he's better off in the staircase. She's such a pro you wouldn't know it looking at her, but I can see her very clearly in... (laughs) Anyway, the other one is talking to my sweet little lobby boy, showing him little glimpses of the outside world on his little toy. My boy is enthralled with a new yearning, a new questioning. He's a good worker, always on time for his shifts, doesn't complain out loud anyway, but he just isn't very... um, Worldwise, he doesn't understand the images he's being shown, but I can tell he likes it. Hmm. Well, he's He's curious, at least. The guest is being kindly. He can tell the lobby boy doesn't get out much. But I can see there's something else there. 
A yearning of his own to be understood, to be heard, to connect with anyone about something. He's explaining the video, but I think he's also trying share a little bit of himself with this strange man, my nervous, rotting, lobby boy. Oh well, there's not going to be any understanding there, I'm afraid, but points for trying. Now, this third guest, he's going to be the one you want to watch, I think. He's got such a single-minded, constant, thrumming, throbbing, yearning inside him, and, and I don't even think he knows what it is. He's constantly wandering away from the others, rifling through his bags with no intention of looking for anything, and just plain miserable. This one yearns just for something to do. Just for its own sake. He and the owner, staring at each other, not seeing each other, looking through each other to themselves, each holding on to this unrelenting yearning for... something. I know he wants to understand, though. The owner for me, he's such a sweetie, always thinking of me. He wants to do a good job on his reports. I I like like his his reports. reports. I like hearing about his day and hearing about the staff and how they like it and how he likes it and and if I can do anything to make it better for everyone. I can, of course. (laughs) I can do anything. I can do anything. He cracks cracks my window again and starts scratching me. Ah, I just, just hold his hand a little and rattle my fire escape at him so he knows I know he's here and doing a good job. I understand I really do. It can be stressful. Day in, day out, pain, torture, unending struggle, and always guests, guests, guests. The others don't struggle as much as he does, and they work together more. No wonder he's lashing out. I don't need the reports or the audits to understand you, my darling. The guests begin working their way up, up, up inside me. I dispose of their baggage, and they won't need it. It's a shame. It matched their little outfits. We get such fun guests here. The owner must agree because he is just crawling around my windows, following them up. It tickles. He watches them, trying so hard to understand. I have to admit, he has a point. I don't understand the guests any more than he does. Well, I mean, I understand everything more than he does. And the others, and the guests themselves, for that matter, but... You ever understand something and at the same time just be totally baffled by it? Take this guess. Lover boy. He fancies himself the leader of the pack. Vroom, vroom, vroom. All gusto and blood. Not a thought about what comes after the next step as long as he's taking that step. No concern to where he's going or where he came from, for that matter. He's just... Going, moving forward, onward, upward, inside of him is something like, well, not happiness, but the clean contentment that only comes from change in motion. Success without achievement, accomplishment without goal. Is he arriving anywhere or just traveling? 
See what I mean? It makes sense, but it does have that aftertaste of confusion. Oh, and look how upset he gets when the others want to take a rest. He's still thinking about the manager down in my lobby. If he could see her now, I doubt he'd be so... I think she looks gorgeous, but the guests really don't like that sort of thing. It can really ruin a party, trust me. Oh, they're all really upset now. They think they're just out of shape or tired. If they knew how many flights they had actually climbed just now, I think they'd be impressed with themselves, actually. They climb on, but something's wrong again. The owner is just drifting off, lost in thought, lost in me. He's standing there in oblivion, hands behind his back, staring up at all the nothing. He's got the same vacant look the lobby boy often has. (laughs) Not that I'd ever tell him that. He'd be so mad. I twist and scratch a little again, rattling my fire escape. I tie myself into non-interlink, but nothing here can perceive and bend in impossible directions, colors and texture rippling over and over me like pale fire. It's just for me, though. I can see myself through his eyes. And it's a shadow of a dream. One of the guests is thinking about my lobby boy. I can hear him. Everything good with him? I hope he's doing all right. He's a strange guy. Weird, oddball. Best part of his day. Poor little fella. Checking out the phone. A little bag of mopey disaster. Like he even... Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Come on. attention. Don't be condescending. Nah, should be, be such a prick. Come on. Be like my phone sharing With him. He shouldn't be rude. He's a full grown man. Stop. He's a full grown man. No. I okay. He's all right. Don't be like that. Okay. He's person oh. just like you. Oh, tired. Jeez. Tired. Oh, tired. Right. From left. Legs. Legs. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It's messy. But that's life, babe. Everyone's mind is as different as everyone's body. It all works more or less the same, but honestly, I can't wrap my mind around how anything gets done between you people. And I can wrap my mind around just about anything. He thinks in a disjointed pastiche of thoughts that he has to squint at to try and drive meaning out of it all. Exhausting. But he's thinking nice things about the boy, even though he's stuck on a hamster wheel, sweating like a pig. I like him. Now, take the last one, Mr. Lonely Heart Taylor. Well, to look inside him, you'd think he was completely alone on this staircase, but I know these are his two closest friends. He's been doing his little shows with them for years. They even live together. But inside him, I can see it as plain as the nose that's no longer on the owner's face. 
It's just a howling wind blowing in a vicious circle. He's trapped in his own head, and it's so hot. Suffocating humidity and grainy sand and a pain like grated bone. I doubt he even notices it anymore. Every step sinks him lower into himself. Every stabbing joint and aching muscle is just another glob plucked onto his plate at the all-you-can-hate buffet. He takes it all with him, but not for any purpose. Just because it was handed to him, it poisons him. He can't put it down. He won't. Those silly, silly boys marching themselves to death for nothing. Silly is harsh, maybe. I am masking quite a lot of what they can perceive, but still. Whether inside the death spiral the lobby boy made or back where they came from, these lads are stuck, stuck, stuck. I take a closer look at all three, just to compare just for fun. Their lights twinkle together, and their different waves and colors look so lovely in concert. Oh, this must be what their friendship looks like. I see how fragile it can be. If you take one light away, you still have the glow from the other two. You may not realize you've lost anything at all. So easy to wander off following your own light like a bug mesmerized until loneliness can kill. Trust me. On the other hand, if you don't see your own light for what it is, you might think you don't have one of your own at all. You might think the only light in your life is someone else's. So you stand idly by, hand digging through your bag, so no one notices you thinking, well, at least there's light. And they fear the darkness. And they fear the darkness, of course. Now that is silly. Darkness is the natural state of the universe. Isn't it wonderful to have darkness and coolness? Most of them can't even sleep without it. There's nothing to be afraid of. Nothing that can also kill them in broad daylight. You, you can, can trust, trust me on that, that too. too. Now the owner, he's, he's not, not afraid, afraid of the darkness. darkness. No, sir, look at him out there. Facing it, within and without, not turning away from it, marching on in his own way. The strong, silent type, they used to call it. <laughs> Strength, of course, has little meaning where silence has least. I do wonder what he's thinking about out there, all alone, though. Oof! Oh. Someone is trying desperately to open one of my staircase doors. The lobby boy built them too well for that, though. There isn't anything on the other side of that door, except an imperceptible concept of halls and rooms cascading in slow, dreadful forms. 
The guests are getting testy. Fussy. It's only just begun for them, though. They think they've started to cross the threshold into pure exhaustion, physically and mentally. I know better, though. I've seen the limits of their frailness, and to me, they are no more than an eyelash. Blown to oblivion with the slightest breath. To them? <laughs> well, they still have quite a ways to go before they break. Every journey, though, first step, etc. You've heard it. This is their first step. A little crying, a little contained frustration. Maybe, Maybe even, even a little, little smash and pound on the walls. Just to let them know they're still here and hopping mad. You know what's interesting about these moments? They don't really change that much. Everything saturates and increases, but it doesn't change. The sads get sadder, the mads get madder, and the thinkers start trying to think their way out, but it's all the same. Everyone reacts differently when they struggle, but as with all guests, each according to their gifts. Isn't that a lovely thought? Would that comfort them, I wonder? To know that they already had all the tools they need to navigate their strife? No, probably not. I mean, they are going to die in there, and not soon, so... I don't think knowing they're already fully realized persons as valuable and meaningful as any other would make them feel much better. Oh yeah, look. They're fighting already. The owner's watching too now. Back from his alone time. I think he likes being alone. I think that's why he spends so much time on the third story, working on his reports. Of course, he has been spending a lot of time in the private office, too. It's not like he needs to be in there all the time. He has his files and drops his reservation card for the manager. I think, maybe, he's been feeling a little left out. A social creature who likes to be alone. Another baffling contradiction of truth. I think he's feeling better now, though. He's got a real zip to his gait as he flies around me. He looks so handsome in his suits. He watches the guests as they continue their climb. Now, in angry silence. Angry at each other. Angry at themselves. Angry at me. They don't know I know what they're thinking, but I do. And it's not very nice. It's not unfair, though. For a long time, I feel them, story after story, sometimes stopping to catch their breath, but never for long. I like to keep the guests focused, proud them up. It's not that I don't have the time. Honey, I have all the time. But you know, let's keep it moving. My lobby boy is downstairs just rocking his little cart as best he can with his 
stiffening joints. The manager is behind them, softly rubbing the reservation card in her pocket. Poor thing has got it all mushy and ruined with her. Well, juices. I don't like to twiddle my thumbs too much, but they are ultimately just standing there enjoying each other's company. I've places to be, people to kill. I'm social too. That's why I'm really enjoying having the owner floating out there up and up and up my staggering, towering form. And he's in a better mood. A happy workforce is a productive workforce. And they have been so productive tonight, the guests are really starting to show some nice color. One of them thought taking his shoes off would make the climb easier. I can understand his thinking his toes are purple and bent. They have been walking for a while. For them a long time. Just a heartbeat for me. Another heartbeat later, and they're trying to break down a door again. I'm surprised it's taken them so long to give it an honest shot. Well, they are really giving it to that door. Honestly, if it was just a normal hotel door, they might have had a shot at breaking it down. It's not, though. So one of them breaks his hand on it. Another tries to kick the doorknob off, and... really messed up his foot. Like, messed it up. The owner actually laughed. Cheeky. It's good to see him stop taking things so seriously. Here's the really sweet part, though. The guest's friends drop the bags and carry him. One under each arm. Isn't that nice? Slower now, but still upward together. A few more heartbeats that could shatter the mind of a million, million people thump on. And they leave him behind. I can see the owner feels some kind of satisfaction at this. I gotta say, it's a little disappointing. Doesn't he understand that for the guests, the pain, the break, the death is all inevitable? Ice melts in the fire. It's nothing to be smug about. Does he consider how long they sat with him before they trod on? Does he know how much it pained them to do so? And after a few more heartbeats, does he even notice that the guest then tries to crawl up the stairs? The texture is often more important than the shape. But does he see that? But does he see that? <laughs> no, that man of mine. He does keep things interesting, doesn't he? I twist and sway and rattle my fire escape at him from time to time, but I'm not sure he understands the affection, the meaning. Maybe I don't either, but for tonight, neither of us need to understand. Tonight, we bob and sway and watch the guests together as they 
March and crawl endlessly upwards, breaking down again and again. The Hotel was created and produced by Travis McMaster and Mark Witten. Starring Kelly Ninaltowski as the manager. Mark Witten as the lobby boy. Graham Rowett as the owner. And Krista Lewis. Music by Lauren Picorni, West Rodri, and special guest composer Zach Tatum-Drake. Hey, thanks for sticking around. It's a good episode, right? It's been really great having Krista around more. She has a real great chaotic energy. I wanted to let you know about some stuff I've been doing for funsies outside of Midnight Disease. Lauren and I have a Star Trek podcast called I've Never Seen Star Trek. We're introducing Star Trek to some friends who have never seen it. So if you're curious about Star Trek, beam on down. I've Never Seen Star Trek is on Spotify, Apple, etc. And speaking of podcasts Lauren and I are on, Feeder of Tomorrow actor Paul Getz puts together a podcast called The Follow-Up Showdown that Lauren and I co-host. And on that one, we watch movies with no sequels or unsatisfying sequels, and we all pitch a new idea for a sequel. Uh, so those are my hobby podcasts. Check those out if either of them sound neat to you. And Slar. Slar has moved back home to travismcmaster.net. That's .net, and you can find all my other projects there as well. The Bent Entertainment YouTube channel is still home to the short films I helped write and produce, Control-Alt-Extinct, co-starring the fabulous Krista Lewis, and the fantastic Mr. Nice Guy, starring the also-fantastic Mark Witten. So check those out, too. There's links, of course, available at uh, travismcmaster.net. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy any of those projects you might seek out. Uh, ding... That's the front desk bell.